say what I am thankful for real quick is the fact that on a yucky road morning and the last chance to get a deer today, it's this full. This is great. One, two, three. Praise the Lord. All right. So uh, a couple announcements for you. First of all, um, in your bulletin, there's a food pantry needs insert here, this nice pink piece of paper. Make a note when you're at the grocery store. Um, think about grabbing something on this list for our food pantry. Second of all, there are some envelopes in your bulletin. These are so you can help support our students in our community who would like to go to the district's youth retreat in January. And uh, that's a great time for our young people to uh, gather with other young people, hear from motivational speakers, learn more about the word, learn more about God, and worship together with other um, believers their age. So if you feel led to um, support our kids with that, I would encourage you to um, make a donation using this envelope. Um, next, come for more. Don't forget that after the service. Um, there are multiple opportunities for you um, within that. Um, third, next week, um, December 3rd, uh, we will have um, some WCC leadership available for you um, so that you can find out more about WCC, Washer Community Church. And then finally, um, check the online bulletin um, and see all the other important announcements and updates you need to know. And if you're wondering, it's washeracommunitychurch.org. Help to you. So we are in Galatians. We've kind of been galloping, uh, galloping through Galatians. And our, our title has been The Man, The Message, and The Manner. Uh, the Man, chapters 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul. Uh, the Message, the Gospel, chapters 3 and 4, that's where we're at now. And then The Manner of Life is chapters 5 and 6, and we will get to that probably after Christmas, probably after Christmas. Um, we're in chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. I'm going to gallop through it this morning, but I've titled it A Tremendous Flip-Flop, but also in this passage of Scripture, as you read this morning, you read about Christmas. Christmas in Galatians. We usually don't think of it there. We have been looking at this idea that what has happened, Paul has went into these towns. He has shared the gospel with them. People have come to faith in Jesus Christ. They have gathered up into these little local churches. And now someone else has come in behind him and said, you know what? Who is this Paul? And I'm not so sure about his message about Christ alone. And so now Paul is going back and he's saying, no, you can have confidence. You can have assurance that your salvation has come through Christ alone. And so in these two chapters, chapters three and four, there's like six different arguments that he gives. And the first one that we looked at was personal. He said, uh, did you receive? He made it very personal. Did you receive? And then the next one that we followed was the scriptural argument where he goes back to the Old Testament and he gives us at least six Old Testament passages to look at to realize that, wait a minute, this salvation is through Christ alone. And then last week, we looked at the logical one. He's, he, he took that argument and said, well, if you're this, then you're that. If you're this, then you're that. Now today, we're going to look at the historical and the sentimental. So we're in chapter 4, starting with verse 1. It says, what am I saying? What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave 
although he owns the whole estate, he is subject to guardians and trustees uh, until the time is set by his father. And we'll stop right there. This is the historical argument. What Paul is doing is saying, let's take something from history. Let's let, What is the in history of an inheritance? How does an inheritance work? And he says, if there's a child and the child is the heir, then the child is going to receive an inheritance. But that child is not going to receive that inheritance until the time set by the father. If either it's when the father dies or the father says you have come to age or whatever, but the father decides when that child will get his inheritance. Now, what he's saying is there's no difference, though, for that child at this time than a child that wouldn't get an inheritance. They're just the same because he doesn't have his inheritance yet, and he's being guarded by others. He's being watched over by others. So at this point, these two children, the child that will receive an inheritance and the child that will not receive an inheritance, at this point in time, are basically just the same. Basically just the same. Then he goes to verse 3, and he says, So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. Now, what Paul wants to do is say, okay, that was a physical example. This is what happens in a physical inheritance when it's handed off. He says, so also with you. Now he says, let's talk about spiritual inheritance. He's saying, until we are saved, we are just the same. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all the same. It does not matter at this point. Then he says, here comes Christmas. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights as sons. Um, I think you can look at this verse two ways. You can look at it in the macro, and you can look at it in the sense that when the time fully came, that God had a set time when his son, when for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, when his son would come and be in that manger, be born to a woman, born under the law, in that manger for the world. Okay? You can look at it macro, but I think you can look at it micro too. But when the time had fully come to you, to you, God sent his son. Because God has sent his son, but, but until you realize, until your eyes are open, until your heart is warmed, until you realize that it is Jesus who died on the cross for you. It is Jesus who came for you. Your time now, the time has fully come for you. This one born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. In a physical situation, in a physical inheritance, the child does not receive the inheritance until the father says so. That father sets the time for that child to receive their inheritance. So with you, you're spiritually, we are all spiritually dead. But the father sets a time when our eyes would be open and we would see Jesus just like the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross was saying, what he was badgering Jesus just like the other thief was. And then the time fully came. 
when God opened his eyes and he looked at the man on the center cross and went, wait a minute, he's the king. He's the savior. And his whole thing changes when he turns to him and he says, he says to him, will you, re will you remember me when you get to your kingdom? Well, if he's got a kingdom, he's a what? He's a king. He's a king. So let's keep going here. Verse 6, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts and the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Now, who's our father now? God is our father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God made you also an heir. He made you also an heir. Now you are now part of another family. You're not a part of the family of the world, of this world. You're a part of the family of God's kingdom. And, and the, the emphasis there is you've been adopted. We were all the same before. But now you're adopted into his family. And with that comes an inheritance. And what is that inheritance? Righteousness. Being able to stand rightly before God. Not because of your own doing. Because even in that verse it says, God has made you also an heir. God is the one who has made you an heir. He's the one that has set the time. And so he ends this with, formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are, are not gods. But now that you know God, and I love this distinction he makes here, or rather, are known by God. How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? The greater inferences. Not that you just know God. Yeah, I know God. Oh, yeah, there's kind of a higher power going on. And that, and, No, are you known by God? Does God know you? Wow, what a difference that's happening there. So here is the historical argument saying, in a physical inheritance, as a child, you have an inheritance, but you have not received it until the Father says so. So now here's a spiritual, you have a spiritual inheritance. There's a spiritual, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You have an eternal life there, but it's set by the Father for you to realize it, to respond to it, to, to move toward it, to call out to him who has provided this history argument. And then we get to the sentimental argument when we get to verse. Oh, well, I, I skipped 10 and 11. Let me read those. That's the end of it. You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear that you have somehow wasted my, I've wasted my efforts on you. So after he does the history argument, he says, but why? Are you, why are you putting so much emphasis on these things? Why are you putting so much emphasis on these things that you're trying to do to make yourself, you think you're making yourself holy? Why are you doing that? When the Father has adopted you into the family. Now he goes to the sentimental. I plead with you. There's the sentimental. Brothers, family, become like me, for I became like you, and you have done me no wrong. You have done me wrong, no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. 
Well, I want you to see something here. He says, I became like you. They are saved. How did they get saved, these Gentile Christians? Did they get saved through the law? No. They got saved because Paul stopped there and told them about Jesus Christ. And so they were saved by grace alone. He says, I'm just like you. That's how I was saved, by grace alone, by grace alone. But then he said in that next verse, as you know, because of my illness, I first preached to you the gospel to you. This is really neat here because Paul gives us a little insight here. As he's traveling through Galatia, and he's it, and, and there's an illness. What happens when you have an illness? It makes you stop, right? It makes you stop. You can't keep going. It it sometimes, right, Dave? It puts you in a hospital. And you're you're yeah, it stops you. So it looks like what's happening here is because of an illness, I preached the gospel to you. So Paul was traveling through, but because of an illness, it stopped him in that place. But we know by Paul's experience that that whenever he stops, does he stop spreading the gospel? No. So even though he was ill and stopped him in that place, he continued to share the gospel with them. Verse 14, even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. So this illness was to the point where it stopped him in that place. He shares the gospel with him, but this illness was to the point that they had to assist him. And it was a trial to them. So they had to care for Paul. So he not only stopped in their town and he shared the gospel with them, but, but they started to care for him. And he says, man, you cared for me as if I was one of your own or even beyond. I mean, you treated me better than you treated yourself. You even looked at it like an angel or, or Christ Jesus himself. I mean, wow, the love that you poured out onto me in my illness was tremendous. Then he says in verse 15, what has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if I could have done, if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. So now you kind of get a hint that what was his illness? His illness must have been with his eyes. I mean, because why would they have said, why would they have said, you know, I'll tear up my eyes and give them to you. So maybe his illness was in his eyes. You know how you've done that, right? As parents, your kid's going through something and you wish you could take the pain for that kind of situation. Well, that's what he's saying about these people. These people showed such love to him that they would have tore out their eyes and gave them to me. But what Paul is struggling with here is that kind of love. And then you get to verse 16. Verse 16. Have I now become an enemy by telling you the truth? Wow. I told you the truth. I told you the truth in, in hard circumstances. You cared for me. You cared for me so much that you would even give your eyes for me kind of thing. But now you've turned on me. And what I've told you, you are rejecting. How is that possible? How is that possible? And I put down there, um, you can become an enemy by telling the truth. You can. By just telling the truth, you can become the enemy. 
I, it was said a couple times this morning in, in the Thanksgivings, you know, that we need to pray for our country and we need to pray for the world that we live in. And, and, and it can happen that those who are Christians, truly Christians, who are following after God's word, who are sharing the truth, not our truth, but God's truth, can become the enemy. Oh, I don't know if I signed up for that. I signed up for when I became a Christian way back when, 11 years old. I, I signed up for when, when you became a Christian, you're going to church and, I mean, truly saved and everything else. It changed your life. Now you weren't following just rules. You had a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because of that relationship with Jesus Christ, you there, your life changed. Your life was transformed. And in the world that I grew up in, in the world that I grew up in, that was a positive. In the world, the world looked at it, that as a positive. If they knew you went to church and if they knew you were your parents were Christians and going to church and everything, wow, you got scooped up. Why? Because they 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 saw you as moral, they saw you as you'd be to work on time, <laughs> they saw you as telling the truth, they saw you as all these kind of things. They saw those qualities of a Christian and they go, that's who we want to hire. It's not so today, is it? It's not so today. If you say that you're a Christian in certain circles, you might not get the job. And you haven't even spoken yet. You haven't even said the truth yet. Some governmental institutions where you're, you're automatically out. And you scratch your head. Right, Dan? You're scratching your head. Yeah. You're like, you're like wow. Wow, Pastor Adam sees everything from up here, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, you, you're like, wait a minute here. This is confusing. What I'm sharing with you is not my truth. It's God's truth. What I'm sharing with you is the good news that you can have faith in Jesus Christ, and it's by Christ alone. There's not anything else that you have to add to it. He's paid it all on the cross. And Paul is saying, how did I become your enemy? How did that happen? Verse 17, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you would be zealous for them. Ooh, you're going, wow, okay, yeah. Those of this world, the message of this world, they are very zealous. They're very, very zealous. They, they, they brand themselves. They, they, they take over countries. They take over companies. They take over schools. They are very, very zealous with their message. Tremendously zealous with your message. Verse 18, it is fine to be zealous. See what Paul says there? It's fine to be zealous. Provided the purpose is good. There is only one who is good. Who is he? Jesus Christ. He's the only one that is good. And there is only one good news. And that's the gospel. So it's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good. And, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. I, I thought of this when I was, looked at that. I thought, oh, this is just like uh, Alice. When Alice was here a couple weeks ago and he was preaching. 
And, and he said, you know, sometimes we look out at the world and, and, and we look out there and go, oh, man, it's so messed up. And there's so many problems. And, blah, blah, blah. and we're just pointing the fingers and everything out. And Alice, what he said from up here, he's, he said, yeah, that's so. But maybe we should stop complaining. And maybe we should be zealous. I, I'm throwing that word in there. Zealous with what God has to say. Maybe we should be zealous with God's words applied to the problems of our world. Rather than just pointing our fingers at all the problems, say, how does God's word answer this problem? How following God's word answers this problem rather than just complaining? So I, I, I put down there, yeah, the big question, are we being zealous with the gospel? They're being very zealous. Are we being zealous. It's okay to be zealous. Are we being zealous with God's words? When we have those opportunities, the Holy Spirit guides us. Are we zealous with the words of God? Verse 19 and 20, we're almost done. My dear children, from whom I again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone. So you get a kind of idea. He's like scolding them a little bit here. And what's up with you guys? You know, he's kind of, if I could change my tone, because I am perplexed with you. I am perplexed. In verse, chapter 1, verse uh, 6, he said, I'm astonished. Chapters 3, verse 1, he says, who has bewitched you? Now he says, I, I'm perplexed. I'm perplexed. And, and I think we could say the same thing of the church today. What is perplexing about the church? Let me give you three of them. First one, it's perplexing that in the church, even amongst God-fearing people that are following after Christ, that we follow the path of fear rather than faith. That's perplexing. But, it, but, but I'll, I'll pull back and say, what did Jesus say to his disciples at times? Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little. So is this brand new? No, it's not brand new. It's been around for a long time, but it is perplexing when we go the route of fear rather than the route of faith. We follow a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We follow a God who is coming again. We follow a God who's providing an eternal home for us. That's who we follow. Here's a second one. When we, when we go the route of revenge over reconciliation. That's perplexing. When we go the route of revenge, we, we, we take on the tools of the world, the, the ways of the world, rather than the ways of God of reconciliation or restoration. So Peter, what happens when he's in the garden scene? Boom, he pulls out that sword just as quick as he possibly can. He's going to take care of this. And what's Jesus say? Put the sword away. That's an improvision, er, provision, <laughs> improvised there. Yeah, put the sword. And I'm so I think we can get complex at times. And the church has not been perfect. There are times that we have wielded the sword. We have we have went the route of revenge. We've went the way of the world in situations rather than reconciliation. Here's the third one. I'm perplexed when we get so selfish. Over being selfless. 
when we get so selfish as a church rather than being selfless. And again, some these are old, okay? So the disciples, what are they doing all the time when, when they're walking with Jesus? They're saying, they're trying to figure out who's the greatest. Well, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest, you know, kind of thing. They're, they're, they were selfish rather than being selfless. And Jesus says, you know, what? where's our spot? Our spot's at the end of the line. And we're not only at the end of the line, but we're serving people while we're at the end of the line. That's the greatest in the kingdom. That's the greatest in the kingdom. So I want to go back. I'm going to end this this way. Back to Christmas in Galatians. Okay, this is chapter verses 5 and 6. And just to really pull this out. It says, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Okay? Born of a woman. Each one of these phrases is important. Born of a woman. In Isaiah, then the virgin will give birth to a child. Born under the law, meaning he's going to be human. He's going to be fully God, fully man. And in Philippians, he said, he made himself nothing. Then it says to redeem those under the law. Already in the book of Galatians, he says he's rescuing you from this present evil age. He, he gave of himself. He, he became the curse to take the curse that you have upon you. And he has made us not prisoners anymore, but he has freed us to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of his sons. And again, what are we receiving? An inheritance that is given by the Father, and it's given to us at a set time that we would realize that we are one of his children to receive this inheritance of righteousness that does not come from ourselves. So as we gallop through Galatians, um, next Sunday I will not be here. Um, Michael McKidrick will be here bringing the first message in the um, season of Advent. Um, but uh, the next week, we'll finish out chapter 4 in Galatians as we gallop through it. But I pray that you would understand, as Christians, that you would not be, per be perplexing to God. Don't you would follow after him. And those who are not yet Christians, you would realize that even today it could be the fully time come for you that your eyes are open and you see Jesus hanging on the cross as your Savior and then you would realize that wait a minute he was buried in a grave and he rose on the third day and he ascended into heaven and he's coming again and I can receive the inheritance so, would you stand with me? I'm going to say a short prayer, and then I'm going to give a couple more people an opportunity to say thank you, and we're going to sing our final song. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture. Um, thank you, Lord, that uh, Paul had such a relationship with these um, Galatians that he could be so blunt with them at times. Lord, Help us to realize that there's a set time set by you. 
for us to know who you are so that we can call out because your spirit is now within us. Abba, Father, you are our Father. And I pray this morning too, Lord, as, as Paul got sentimental, pleading with them, wait a minute, I don't understand. Think back. Maybe we're like the church in Revelation that's lost its first love. That we would go back and we would not be perplexing to God. We would be people who are faithful. We are would be people who are all about restoring. That we would also be people, Lord. We would be these kind of people that love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love our neighbor as ourselves. Enduring even if we become the enemy. But we're the enemy because we're just sharing your truth. Your truth sets people free. So, Heavenly Father, thank you again for this morning. In thy precious and holy name, amen.